It's Monday, July 19th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. More pressure for a permanent solution has been put on President Biden and Democrats as a judge just ruled that the DACA program is illegal. Those currently in the program can stay in the U.S. and renew their status, but there will be no more new applicants until the appeals process is complete. This is coming at a time when a record number of migrants are still crossing the border. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for the latest on immigration, more news and falsehoods coming out of the Arizona audit, and Senator Chuck Schumer pushes for a vote on infrastructure this week. Next, forensic investigators have been using DNA in legal cases for a long time, and as the technology has gotten better, they're using genetic material from smaller and more challenging samples. Enter software called True Allele, which can help narrow down genetic profiles even if DNA samples are muddied or too tiny. True Allele has been providing key evidence in thousands of violent crime cases, but the only problem is that no one knows exactly how it works. The process has been kept hidden as a trade secret until now. Justin Juvenal, justice reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for a case in Virginia that could get a first look in how this software is transforming DNA evidence. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. Talk to uh, some of our Democratic members of the bipartisan group. They're making very good progress. Uh, there is no reason why we can't start voting next Wednesday. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's start up with some immigration news this week. On Friday, uh, a judge ruled that the DACA program is illegal. It's been in place since 2012. They said that uh, President Obama failed to follow some federal administrative rules. They Basically, he went about doing this without getting Congress uh, the approval of Congress. So that's kind of where the problem is. For now, there's no new applicants, basically. All the people still in the program are, can still stay in the country and they can still renew their status, but no new applicants as of now. That's right. So this program has been just in legal jeopardy from day one. President Obama signed this into executive orders, so not really law, before he left office. Trump tried to reverse it immediately when he came into office. He faced a number of legal challenges in doing so, and that held the process up. We've got another legal challenge. I mean, really, these people have been left in limbo. The effects of this one, this latest decision, as you said, those who are already in the program can remain in the program. So it may have not as big of an effect had they gotten rid of the whole thing because it's been around for a number of years. So most people who qualified had already entered the program. But it does set up a real risk that in a few years uh, it will be eliminated or another judge will decide the whole program violates the, the, the law if it wasn't done correctly. And so really this is just renewed pressure on Congress to act. And it's kind of one of those things where everyone seems to mostly agree they just can't agree in a way that gets this made into law. Yeah, President Biden called that ruling deeply disappointing. He said he's going to appeal it, urging Congress to pass the American Dream and Promise Act. That's what they call it. the House passed something. But as usual, everything stalled in the Senate. Uh, so that's kind of where everything's being held up. And this is sort of the, the story of the last several years. The House can do things, but getting enough senators, 60 senators on board is the tough thing. 
I think if you asked 60 senators, you would get 60 yeses. It's just getting the votes on a bill. It's the political calculations. And it's Trump. I mean, Trump's been so long criticizing DACA. He made it very hard for Republicans to take a vote supporting it as opposed to just saying they support it. So this one's going to be tricky, I think, uh, still going forward. And at the same time, we're seeing record number of migrants crossing the border. I think for June, they said it was the highest number since March of 2000. The U.S. border agents stopped more than 188,000 migrants from June. So uh, I know Kamala Harris was working on the root causes of migration and all. And I know things take time to actually kind of work through, but it seems like she's having very little impact right there right now. I mean, you're right. It's going to take a long time to solve the root causes of this migration. Um, And I think the fact that there's someone working on the root causes, but not the immediate uh, arrival shows you just how difficult and tricky an issue this is. These people are fleeing really unsafe, dangerous conditions. We expect or there might be some people who would have come last year but didn't because of the pandemic or didn't come in previous years because of Trump that now think that there's a more open America willing to give them refugee. Um, and there's a lot of factors here, but there no one's figured out how to convince people to stay home immediately yeah. and not in the long term as being addressed by the vice president. So this is really ongoing. And, and I think what we see the Biden administration trying to do is address the issue as best they can. There's been still a lot of criticism about how children who arrive unaccompanied are being treated, how families are being treated, how these migrants are being housed whenever they surrender at the border. And so they're going to have to continue to just vigilantly work on this issue um, or else, you know, repeat the mistakes of their predecessor. And those are the numbers we're seeing that are still going up, unaccompanied minors and, and family units. So we'll continue to see what happens there. Let's move on to Arizona. There's a lot of crazy things being said about this voting audit going in Maricopa County. First off, the contractors there, cyber ninjas, they said they don't have enough info to complete their report. It could still take, I don't know, a couple months or something for it. They want to subpoena for more records. They want to survey tens of thousands of voters at their homes to see if, uh, you know, whatever they had in in the votes is, is true, I guess. I mean, I think that we need to just remember that from day one, this quote unquote audit in Arizona has never been a serious effort. It was never going to um, unearth some unknown things from the election, and it was never going to overturn the results of the Arizona election and and by extension, uh, Joe Biden's presidential victory. I think what we see here is, you know, obfuscating. Obviously, um, as we were told, there's been, I, I think, less than 200 instances that may have been um, an issue that may have been suspicious. 182. Yeah, it was 182. 182. Yeah. Uh, nowhere near the margin of the difference between uh, Biden and, and Trump. And even if you just imagine that they're only catching a fraction, still nowhere near the margin, right? right. Um, this this is just not serious. This is not going to produce serious results. And there wasn't any fraud. Um, and I think the fact that um, this has been going on for so long that the that having the ballots themselves has not allowed them to declare even sort of victory shows uh, just how much they're right. reaching here by trying to say they need more things. Well, here's here's the tricky part, though, now, because uh, Jack Sellers, he's the Republican chairman of the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. He said these auditors are portraying as suspicious what is actually normal and well known to people who work in elections. Uh, he's calling them uh, incompetent. But at the same time, 
President Trump uh, over the weekend, you know, releasing a few statements, kind of using what they were looking for more information on um, certain ballots printed on, uh, you know, President Trump basically said there's ballots printed on illegal paper. There was uh, mail-in ballots that were received that were never sent out. Um, you know, so President Trump turns this around and, and uses that as basically saying this is evidence that Arizona was stolen from me. I mean, and, you know, you're right. You pointed to sellers saying some of these things, you know, talk about, um, quote unquote, dead people voting. Uh, Most of the time when people try to look back at the voter rolls, this is often a case of somebody who died whose child or relative has the same name, right? So they live at the same house or in the same area. They have the same name. Uh, there's some confusion about which one of them showed up to vote. Clearly, it wasn't the dead one. It was the alive one. Um, but that gets marked as suspicious. It's yeah. those kind of things. And anyone who's ever dealt with elections knows that happens all the time. Um, it's just the nature of record keeping and the way that um, voter rolls work. It's not suspicious. And they're not actual dead people voting. It's it's people with the same names or common, very common names in some cases. Um, but what I think is, is you're right, happening here is that Trump is trying to use this to undermine um, the validity of the elections. And I think that uh, like in Michigan, where we saw a report authored by Republican senators that said there was no fraud, there was nothing that was changing the margins, that Joe Biden won, uh, now seeing Republicans in Arizona saying the same thing, uh, inadvertently Trump might be pushing some in his party uh, to say the opposite of what he wants them to say and actually say what's true and that uh, Joe Biden won the presidency. Finally, for this week, uh, we could be seeing some action on infrastructure. Senator Chuck Schumer is trying to kind of uh, force negotiators hands into an agreement this week. He wants a vote by Wednesday, some uh, a procedural vote. But the big problem is the bill is not finished yet. The big main problems are always how to pay for it and where does all that money go? Uh, so th- we could be seeing some That's action. That's right. This so week. the Senate goes home in August, as does the House, for their August recess when they're back in their district, supposed to be talking to their voters. And Chuck Schumer wants them to have taken at least a vote on this whole infrastructure package. Um, and as your listeners know, it's two parts. It's um, an infrastructure deal they struck with Republicans, and it's a larger bill that's not really infrastructure. It's more social safety net that the Democrats are going to try to pass on their own. And Schumer's trying to get these both moving in a way that when they go home and talk to their voters, they can say, look, this is what we're doing. They can get the feedback from that. Um, and he's hoping they can come back with a big thumbs up from their their voters that they continue to, to get these finished well we'll see what happens on wednesday if they do get that vote going ginger gibson deputy washington digital editor at nbc news thank you very much for joining us thanks for having me that presents a number of challenges one is that the dna is often degraded or often commonly mixed with multiple people's DNA because a lot of people have touched a number of surfaces. Joining us now is Justin Juvenile, justice reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Got an interesting story about crime labs and DNA and a specific software that's kind of been involved in a lot of cases recently. We've seen over time crime labs pulling DNA from a lot of different samples, the blood samples, semen samples, and they analyze the genetic material and they use it in in court cases and whatnot. As the technology has gotten better, they're able to get genetic material from even smaller and more challenging samples. But as this has been progressing, 
we've been running into a problem, you know, multiple samples of DNA, things that get tainted, and it's hard to really see exactly what's there. So we have this company it's called Cybergenetics, and they have a software called True Allele. And what it does, it kind of breaks all that DNA down and kind of does a deeper search for this. Right now, there's this court case out of Virginia in Fairfax County where a man was caught using this sample, the software, and uh, now they're challenging the source code. They're saying that without knowing how what the source code looks like, you can't charge me on this. So it gets a little a little complicated, but Justin, help us walk through some of this. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's DNA evidence has really been evolving over the last decade. Um, everyone knows the traditional DNA match from crime dramas where they find a suspect's DNA at the crime scene, either in semen or blood, as you mentioned, and that's compared um, in a lab to uh, a sample from the suspect and uh, comes back with a match. And that has been, for years, the gold standard of evidence in criminal trials, and it still is. Um, But as you mentioned, DNA evidence is changing significantly. They're able to pull very small samples now from crime scenes down to just a handful of cells. For instance, when somebody touches the barrel of a gun or steering wheel, they can now swab those and uh, pull out uh, a DNA profile from from a a small number of cells. But that presents a number of challenges. One is that the DNA is often degraded or often commonly mixed with multiple people's DNA because a lot of people have touched a number of surfaces. So what this software does, this software is transforming the analysis of these complicated uh, DNA mixtures where multiple people have been found uh, in a sample. And what it promises to do is unmix a mixture of samples and look at that jumble of DNA from multiple people and try to sort out who is in that sample. And it basically has allowed prosecutors and police to uh, interpret DNA samples that were previously unreadable. So it's a real breakthrough. But um, the software itself is made by a private company that has spent uh, more than a decade developing it, spent millions of dollars, and they're arguing in court they don't have to reveal how it works. They don't have to show people the source code because it's a trade secret. And if they revealed it, uh, they would lose their business advantage. And on the other side, defendants are arguing, well, how do we know that this works the way you say it works without actually seeing the inner workings, seeing the guts of the system? And as defendants in the U.S. criminal justice system, we have a right under the Constitution to examine the evidence against us. And uh, these arguments have been going on in court for a number of years now. And generally speaking, judges have sided with Cybergenetics, the maker of True Allele, and said the company does not have to reveal its source code. But uh, in this Virginia case, uh, the defendant has uh, successfully argued to a judge that he should should get a look at the source code and allow a defense expert who's... uh, has expertise in software and genetics and statistics to take a look at the source code and see if there's any errors in it that could throw it off. Um, And that's significant because a number of forensic techniques in recent years have shown to be, have been shown to be flawed from uh, everything from hair analysis to fiber analysis to bite matching. And they've resulted in a number of, uh, you know, um, 
false convictions. And defendants in these cases that are involving truly will say, we should have the right to to look at this evidence and examine it, and maybe we'll find some errors in it that have been overlooked. It's a complicated software system with 170,000 lines of code, wow. as with all software, that there's errors in it that are throwing off the results. Tell us a little bit more about the case in particular. As you mentioned, uh, this happened in Virginia. It was a gas station robbery, basically, and one of the perpetrators grabbed the victim, told him to get down on the floor, so that's where they got the DNA from when he grabbed the victim's shirt, basically. But there's multiple people's DNA on that shirt. And then this is where they use the true allele software to kind of pinpoint who that might have been. It's kind of a it's a pretty garden variety case. It, it's, it's, it is a gas station robbery. Two guys come in uh, armed with a gun and uh, put it to the clerk's head in the in the gas station and take about four hundred seventy five dollars. The clerk himself did not get a good view of, of the robbers. Uh, there's surveillance video of the thing, but you can't really see the faces. It's kind of hard to identify them. So uh, about five years after this robbery occurred in 2014, the federal convict uh, in the case identified this uh, man as his co-conspirator in the robbery. And uh, the federal convict was seeking a 30-year reduction on his sentence. Um so it didn't make it the strongest identification because the convict may have had a, a reason to identify the guy, uh, motivated reasoning. So prosecutors uh, decided to uh, use this true allele technology to try to bolster their case. And the true allele uh, software identified the same man that the federal convict identified as his DNA being present on the clerk of the Exxon station, on the shirt of the clerk at the Exxon station. So um, at that point, authorities charged him, and the case rests on the identity, uh, the identification by this federal convict and on the true legal evidence. Yeah, and so this is pretty interesting because this could have some pretty big ramifications if they find something wrong in the analysis, let's say. Cybergenetics has been directly working on nearly a 1,000 cases They've leased this software to 10 crime labs. There's been courts that have deemed the software admissible. So they're using it and they're getting convictions with all of this stuff. So if they get get through, look at the source code, this could change a lot of things, if, you know, one way or the other. It could either kind of cement it that uh, this is a, a really good software or it can change things if they find any mistakes in there. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a unique case in that we're going to finally get a what it what appears to be we're going to finally get a look at the source code and how it works and how it figures out which uh, DNA profiles are in these jumbled samples. So it's kind of unique. And it's also interesting because uh, the case sort of touches on the future of evidence in criminal trials. More and more evidence is being produced by complicated software that relies on algorithms to do various calculations on pieces of evidence. And uh, a lot of this stuff is a lot of the software is created by private companies who, uh, uh, you know, could make similar arguments to what cyber genetics is making that the software itself is is, uh, you know, should be a trade secret. So this th these kind of issues are going to be coming up more and more in criminal cases going forward in the future. Well, it still might take a little time before they get a chance to look at that source code. So we'll monitor this and see what happens of it, as, as you've just been alluding to. You know, this could change a lot of things. Justin Juvenal, 
justice reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.